tonight on Elvis Book Club. But its hands and mouth had already begun a slow and shameless journey over my entire body. I closed my eyes. His lips began to tease every part of me, exploring and lingering over the most sensitive areas, while his hands discovered erogenous zones I didn't know I had. He stoked the flames that licked deep inside my belly, kindling and rekindling a smoldering inferno of desire. I want to make love to you, too, I gasped. You are, little one. You are. One, two, three, four. Tonight on Elvis Book Club. It was just that I wanted to show him that my body welcomed his. No, ached for his. There was no other word for it but happiness. It went beyond mere gratification. I experienced a sweet, soft, serene glow of real happiness. Our rhythms grew more intense. The surge mounted, and his final muffled explosion filled me with a sublime glow. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it had not happened for me, I knew he could make it happen, and that this was the way love was meant to be. One, two, three, four! Hello, welcome to Elvis Book Club. I'm here talking with my good friend Pat. Hey, Pat. Hey there. I'm Brad, but today I'd like you to call me Little One. Let's dig in. This book is from 1994, and I would say is the perfect choice for our Valentine's Day episode. We're reading Don't Ask Forever, My Love Affair with Elvis by Joyce Bova, as told to William Conrad Knowles. Definitely fits for... uh, Valentine's Day, because I think as you explained to me off air, it's got that lady lounging in the bathtub kind of feel. This to me is like a nonfiction romance novel. It reads absolutely like one, to the point where I found the first hundred pages really boring. Yeah. And I was thinking, I think this is for girls. Yeah. This is for ladies. This is not for me. But yeah, it follows all the tropes of a romance. And it's very like centered on how she feels and what she's thinking at each point. And right. Each beat of the slow seduction mm-hmm. that Elvis puts her through. Yes. It all like coheres to that format. Yeah, it's it's super girly. Absolutely for reading the tub. That feeling was supported, I would say, by the fact that my book, the bottom of the first 120 pages, all have these Cheetos smears on them. <laughs> Clearly, this woman was just sitting there eating Cheetos, not even bothering to like dip her fingers in the tub water to like wipe them off. It's just just, like destroying (laughs) this book. So disgusting. But yeah, it's seduction and it feels completely realistic, right? I buy this book. I buy it too. I feel like it supports a lot of stuff we've read prior to this. Yeah. I feel like it answers a few questions that we've had. At the same time, like I won't say that it's a big pile of bullshit, but it's written in such a bad way that I think it could be easily dismissed as bullshit. Written in a bad way and that it's really turgid. Yeah, exactly. There's so much dialogue in this book and conversations with her sister. It reads so unnatural. It's 70s sitcom writing to me. She does give herself some good zingers. And her sister Janice is a real card. Well, they're identical twins, right? That's right. Which was a big, obviously for Elvis, a big selling point. He's so hung up on his twin brother. I would think that he has a real kinship with these ladies that would make having them around really appealing to him. I mean, he seems pretty genuine, if not highly misguided in how he goes about it, but genuine in his want for a real lady friend. He wants someone to love. I mean, on his own very narrow terms. Right, exactly. And and I would say this book, it took what we kind of knew already and put it into a format that it really hit home in a way. These general themes of Elvis's, his demands he puts on women and his impulsiveness and just the monotony Reading this book, going through it uh, a second time to gather my notes, mm-hmm. I was like, which scene is this? Where are they in this? Right. Because everything is the fucking same. Yeah, everything takes time. place in a hotel room or a room backstage at a show. Yeah, yeah, I got that same feeling. If they're backstage, they're backstage with a bunch of well-wishers and all the guys. And then yeah. he and Joyce retire to his bedroom. And then mm-hmm. once they're in the bedroom, it's almost always the same. And then even when they're in Graceland, it's them and all the guys. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they retire to the bedroom. And it's all the same. And when they're not in the bedroom, I very much get a sense of they're all contained within this hermetically sealed world. Everything takes place indoors around the same bunch of people. Nothing ever changes. And just getting that feeling from reading this, I can see really how Elvis would go insane. <laughs> like, yeah. All those yeah. guys. It sounds like such a miserable life. Yeah. And then you add in like the fact that your brains are scrambled from all these drugs. What a mess. Should we back up a step and just say this book is written by Joyce Bova. And so who exactly is Joyce Bova? And 
And my answer to that question is she's just some lady. She is from Baltimore, Maryland. She lives and works in Washington, D.C. She works for the Congressional Armed Services Committee. They investigate matters military, Mm -hmm. famously the My Lai Massacre. She's got a twin sister. She's a brassy independent dame. At one point, she refers to herself as vociferously outspoken. She claims to be fiercely outspoken, but very rarely proves that. (laughs) That's a good point. Which I kind of get. I do have some sympathy for this woman more than I thought that I would have. Yeah, and she does have a twin. They're at an Elvis show, and one of the guys who's doing like trim coordinating sees them waiting in line. That's where the book begins. They actually go to a Paul Anka concert in Las Vegas, somehow make it backstage with Paul Anka, and they mention to him that they're going to see Elvis the next night. And he says, Well, let me put you on the list for that. But independent of that, when they go to the show, they are picked out of the crowd by Diamond Joe or Jerry Schilling or somebody. There's some guy named Gigi that's referred to a few times. I'm not familiar with that member. Gigi Gimble. Uh, I was not familiar with him either, but yeah, he was like a fixture in the gang. He was briefly at one point married to Elvis's cousin. I think her name was Patsy Presley. Well, Sonny West is in here a lot. Sonny's a big he, part of this. And then also Charlie Hodge. Again, nobody's got anything but good things to say about Charlie in these books, so yeah, I, I gotta get over it. Yeah, Sonny comes off really well. Lamar makes his first real appearance in the books we've been reading. He comes off very poorly. And it's the first appearance I was very excited of Hamburger James. Yes. And uh, then I think it should be mentioned that Ricky Stanley also yep. is featured prominently in a couple of stories. And yeah. wow, he's, there's some good. He's stories. got a tough. I would say that's one thing that this book did really give me, like a feeling for how the guys, all the rules around dealing with Elvis, yeah. those guys followed and how they kind of interacted with one another. And Yeah. I think it's easy to sort of view those guys as leeches who were there just to bask in Elvis's limelight. But this book, it sounds like he really put them through their paces too. Like he made them earn their keep. Oh yeah. So yeah, he invites these girls, Joyce and Janice. They must be hot as shit. Because yeah, Paul Anka's like, hang out with me. Elvis is like, hang out with me. Engelbert Humperdinck is like, come backstage. Yeah. Yeah. Marie the K, who's a DJ, is right. like taking Joyce out on like airplane rides. So they must have been hot stuff. From the photos in this book, they're definitely they're attractive ladies. I don't know. They just seem like I mean, it, 70s ladies. I don't well, know. I mean, they're all so slathered in that 60s makeup and they've got giant hair. So just what you like. Yeah, <laughs> I insist. And yeah, the twin thing, of course, for Elvis, that is a arrow to the heart. And he actually tells her their very first meeting, I think before that first show, of course, he, he goes into Jesse. He goes right into like the, you know, when there's twins and one dies, the other one gets the other one's characteristics. Yeah. And that's why I have an understanding because I have, you know, this little dead baby inside me. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, it's his uh, foreplay talk. <laughs> But actually, I would say between this and when Joyce first speaks with Dodger, you do understand that the Presleys are not great with small talk. Like They go straight to it. Oh, yeah. Elvis is constantly giving directives and then defending his directives. Right. I mean, his main message to Joyce throughout this is, do what I say. Trust I know me. what's happening. Yeah, yeah, you need to trust me. You need to have faith in me. Yeah, which is a strike against Elvis in my book. <laughs> I, what my greatest fear in undertaking this, this podcast is like, <laughs> I'm going to read so much much about Elvis and I'm going to figure out, man, I really don't like this guy. Oh. But if I started to feel that in this book, then I put on some Elvis music and like actually hearing his voice clears a lot of that up. <laughs> Whatever there is in terms of negativity I would feel towards Elvis, it's so balanced. And I think it will continue to be balanced as we read more about him by learning so much about the situation he was in. Yeah. He's not a malicious guy. He just has great foibles, you know, as we all do. And it's just magnified. I mean, you realize reading this that Elvis, he has two main problems, I would say, Mm -hmm. from reading this book. One, since about 56 or 57, he has been able to unilaterally determine the terms of every relationship he's entered into. Every friendship. I would argue even before 56, the world revolves around Elvis. He's an only child with a mom who's scared to death that she's going to lose him. And then he gets famous and then it spirals from there. To have a relationship, you need to learn to compromise. Right. And he's never learned that and he's never had to. And since he's never had to compromise, he's never had to open himself to correction. He can't learn because he's, throughout this book, he's very insistent that he's right about things. He knows best. And he can't be told otherwise. And that's like, there is no more self-destructive statement than, trust me, I know what's right. Right. You know? Right. That is a dangerous way to think. Yeah. And I, we've talked in on previous podcasts about the cult leader aspect yeah. of Elvis. And boy, it really came out for me in this. And it is all that. I know what's best. You just need to like stop thinking about it and just trust me. What's really happening throughout this is he is constantly giving her plastic 
Lacidils, his sleeping pills. He takes them every night, immediately dozes off, and he always gives her some too. Well, it's funny too that they retire to his bedroom or whatever. He gives her pills and then like they're having a conversation or doing something and then they all just nod off. Yeah, pretty quickly. <laughs> like toys that have been wound up and they just wound down completely. They seem to be very powerful drugs. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty immediate. <laughs> and just to give some context here, like basically a big arc of the story is that Joyce gets hooked on the pills and it really becomes a problem and ultimately comes a reason for the dissolution of this relationship. Right. It confirmed my suspicion that most of his studies happen in the twilight three minutes between taking these pills. Yeah, and exactly. Off. They sit down, they talk, he gobbles pills, he hands her her pills, then he pulls out a book, puts it on his readers, and he's like, we'll get this passage here. Yeah. Uh, e is another word for God. Yeah. <laughs> and she's trying to kiss him because she wants to have sex. Yeah, but he yeah. Is, he is out. And then he starts slurring almost immediately. Yeah, they so, both do. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like he gets about a third of a page of study every night between taking the pills and just totally flopping out. And, you know, they have sex a couple times. I mean, I would say this whole book, they're together, what, two years? She meets him August 19th, 1969. She's first at Graceland on 3-7-71. Uh, he asked her to move into Graceland that same spring, spring of 71, probably late 72. I think their relationship ends. So yeah, it's about three years. Three years. years. But of that time, they have sex a couple times and then it seems like they don't have sex again. Maybe. She details like maybe three or four different encounters. And for that long a relationship, which is not that long, there's not very much sex. If it's three years, actual dates and a date here since it's Elvis could mean an entire weekend, but actual yeah. time together. Oh yeah, that is maybe 10, 12 instances. Yeah, so. this is very much a long distance relationship. Elvis would call her on his little bat phone that she's had installed in her apartment, the Elvis hotline. He can reach her at any time, and he lures her off to weekends at Graceland or Vegas or on tour. And yeah, it is always like a long weekend. She talks about taking sick days from work, but in that three years, they couldn't have been together more than a few weeks. And within that time, he asked her to move in to Graceland. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty quick. Right before they have sex for the first time, which I think is on their second date, uh, he tells her he loves her. They're both exchanging I love yous. But then the other thing, like, I don't want to discount is, like, the appeal and the pull of Elvis Presley. Can you imagine a celebrity of that caliber, I guess, picking you out of a crowd and saying, I want to be with you? Yeah. And if you're a fan, I'd be on board. Oh, sure. sure. If you're that much of a fan, it'd be such a dizzyingly yeah. flattering thing. Yeah, for sure. She gets that across really well, I thought. She talks at one point about, I think she had just gone and spent her first long weekend with Elvis, and maybe they had sex the first time. And then he flies her home on some chartered jet. And then she, that morning, she's just back in her shitty apartment. She's got to get get things prepared. She's got to work the next morning. She's just deposited into this comparatively drab, normal existence. Yeah. And it feels completely surreal to her, which is totally true. I mean, I've had relationships when I was seeing Jamie down in Springfield. I was living in a shitty part of Chicago with my shitty friend puddles you know <laughs> Uh, we weren't exactly raking in the money. Right. And I would go down and see her for, again, long weekends, and it was like a fantasy land. Oh, she had for sure. House. I know that feeling is, as well. I had graduated college and was living at home with my parents. My now wife, Susie, was in college still. And so, like, those weekends where I would get away from my crappy retail job away to fucking Galesburg, Illinois, it seemed like a completely different world, a total relief. Yeah, it's, like, intoxicating. Yes. Because it's, it's, like, the best vacation ever. Yeah. And then you add into that getting physical with girls and like yeah. the, the chemicals or all that stuff's in your head. Yeah. So she's getting that feeling by a thousand. And it's, you know, the riches and all this shit. I mean, not that, you know, it's not like they're eating nice. Every meal is hamburgers and fries. Yeah. And ice cream. One thing that's interesting also from this book is I was shocked by him bringing her into Graceland. He's still married to Priscilla. This is whatever we just said, like 70, 71 mm -hmm. or something. He's bringing her to Graceland. There's a giant painting still of Priscilla up. He introduces Joyce to Dodger, obviously the whole crew, all mm -hmm. the staff. Vernon. So obviously he's not worried about hiding this. Right. He can't be worried that Priscilla's going to come home and he's got to keep everyone quiet. Uh, he's, it's really brazen. It's just like, here's this chick I'm banging. She's right. going to hang out. And that kind of shocked me because I didn't realize that he and Scylla, it seems like even before their acknowledged separation, like yeah. she was already living somewhere else. Right. And I mean, that's three years after they married. I mean, it was pretty quick. Yeah. 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 I thought that was sort of an ugly thing for Elvis 
supposed to do. I mean, if the relationship's over, I understand that. And in bringing someone else in, but think about that staff. Those people basically raised Priscilla. And they lived with her easily for seven years or something like that. And then just to like have to sit there while this is still as the 70s, a lot of people with very old fashioned values, you know, watching Elvis cheat on her essentially. Right. And you've got to be quiet about it. You can't say anything. You got to welcome this. It seems very insensitive. It is insensitive, but Elvis clearly does not care about this. As evidenced in this one story where he's got Joyce at Graceland. Elvis in his bed in Graceland, he had a giant TV at the foot of it, and but he also two had two TVs. TVs from the ceiling. Yeah, recessed in the ceiling right above, so you could just lay in bed yeah. watching TV. <laughs> Which I would not be able to sleep comfortably. I'd always be worried they're going to fall out of there and just fall on my face. Oh, oh, see, I pictured them as being like on the ceiling at near the foot of the bed. Yeah, we'd have to look at photos. I, that was my picture, but it, what you're describing could certainly be the case too. Yeah. But the idea is you could watch TV while laying in bed. Which is neither here nor there. It's just that- It's definitely here nor there. That's totally <laughs> fascinating. This custom weird bed. But the, the reception on one of these TVs is giving him a little trouble. Very little. Yeah. Joyce suggests, well, why don't we just like fiddle with one of the knobs? Elvis gets daddy on the phone says come up and fix it for me Vernon comes up he comes up Joyce is aghast I mean this is like three in the morning yeah right she's in her nighty. you know she's cuddled up with her man I was just like yeah get Vernon up here Vernon has to stand on the bed to fix the TV <laughs> <laughs> she's holding the curtain yeah. she goes in the bathroom where she pulls the blanket over her uh, her shame and yeah basically Vernon like wiggles the knob it fixes because uh-huh. it's just you know it's an old TV and he's like thanks daddy that'll do it but then yeah that is repeated then later yeah, they're getting ready for bed and he's clipping his toenails on the bed and instead of like a normal human being just collecting them and putting them in the wastebasket he calls the maid or he yeah. has somebody call the maid some lady comes up again it's like two in the morning or whatever to vacuum this stuff up and Joyce retreats to the bathroom while this is going on because she finds it so weird and again she's in like her yeah like in a teddy all together. or something <laughs> yeah yeah. The last thing I want to hear at three in the morning is a goddamn vacuum. I know. But the TVs on the bed remind me of another little bit of info that she drops in this book. It's just one sentence. She mentions that Elvis watching TV was constantly flitting between channels. Yeah. Constant channel surfing. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that alone is grounds for divorce. Can you imagine? Every night you have to sit there while he watches TV and he's just like, flip, flip, flip. three minutes of this, a minute of this. Yeah. That hits home. But yeah, as we were saying earlier, the Presley family's poor ability for small talk. God, it's so great. She comes to Graceland for the first time. He's like, I want you to meet Dodger. Yeah. So they go to her little hobby hole under the stairs where she (laughs) lives and spends her time. And he just kind of deposits Joyce in there and leaves. And I mean, it's not really even a conversation. It sounds like Joyce just kind of sits down and listens to Dodger talk about how precious Elvis is. Yeah. I'm picturing this is a very small, stuffed with furniture and very dark room. Yeah. That she's just in all day. It may not even have a window. Yeah. It's like, yeah, definitely like the inner sanctum of Graceland somewhere. Well, think about it. It's right under the stairs. Mm Mm-hmm. Kitchen would be on the left. Stairs are obviously in the front. The living room is on the right, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then the back, I think, is the jungle room. So she probably doesn't have a window. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. But yeah, so Joyce goes in there and this is this killed me. Dodger is like, you should have a lot of children because that'll uh, give you better odds of getting a good one. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then she says, I had five kids. None of them were worth anything. Except Vernon. Except for Vernon because- <laughs> Because he had Elvis. And that was it. Yeah. Only because he provided the seed to the birthing of Elvis. Did Dodger think he was worth anything? What a mean lady. I mean, that's a high ass bar for a mom to set. But she like married, I mean, I thought the guy she married was a criminal, right? Thought he was like a famed ne'er-do-well. That definitely. Definitely sounds right. So what she expected, I don't know. But God, that's the first thing she tells you. That conversation happens or, or that monologue, whatever. And then it's just like somebody comes in and grabs Joyce. I just picture that as like someone kind of gently guides Joyce out of the room while Dodger just like keeps on talking. <laughs> Close the door. <laughs> yeah. And they bang in Graceland with Dodger there, which kind of contradicts what Earl had said about Elvis being very uptight about banging. But yeah. then he was banging, according to Earl, at the same time with Dodger in Texas. So it could just be that Dodger's ears are so bad she can't hear it. But he's still committing adultery with his grandmother downstairs. So yeah, it's either like they don't think she can hear, he doesn't care at all, which I would imagine Joyce would. I would not be comfortable with that. If I was over at some lady's house. No, man. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. I mean, it probably wouldn't stop me. It could just be that Maybe Dodger just doesn't know what sex sounds like. She's just so pure and innocent. She just got knocked up when she was asleep all the time or something. Yeah. She might be one of these old ladies who sleeps with the TV on. Yeah. Like full blast, yeah. you know? Yeah. She definitely seems like a full blast lady, yeah. right? Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> 
So we do find out that as we, I think we pondered this a little bit, maybe last week or two weeks ago, but Elvis does eat that pussy. Yeah. I was a little shocked. I was a little surprised myself. Seems kind of forward thinking and progressive for early 70s. Right. Memphis boy. He goes for it too. Like he he munches. Yeah. Bush. Dude, yeah. <laughs> like he is in there. It's the, flashlight by his side. They do talk about the long black flashlight, yeah. this tactical flashlight, yeah. <laughs> which is the first acknowledgement of that. And they, she does mention in this book about the guys packing Elvis's things up. And she specifically mentions all the books. Yes. All the gold monogrammed sunglasses. Yes. And all the guns. <laughs> yes. That's it. The sunglasses, the guns, and the books. Yeah. Which she sometimes refers to as religious pamphlets. A little belittling, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many gold monogrammed sunglasses? I know. (laughs) And then like he's just going on tour or just, you know, he's doing a few nights in Vegas. How many guns do you need? Elvis needs all the guns. All the guns all the time. Yeah. All the sunglasses all the time. All the books all the time. Does he gift her a gun at one point? Like a 22? Yes. For her, for Christmas, he gives her a 22 and a uh, brown envelope stuffed with cash. (laughs) Yeah. I think he gives her envelope stuffed with cash more than once. Like, I, I don't know. How do ladies feel about just getting like big envelopes full of cash? I don't know. You can't feel too bad about it. No, I guess not. I think before we go on any further, there's a pretty important scene where Elvis has her, I think, in Vegas, and Elvis gets kind of moody. I mean, if anything, if anything, we see in this book again just how mercurial Elvis's moods are. Yeah, he's up and down a lot. They've spent an evening with his buddies and well wishers, and they retire to his room, and things get really like heated between them. Elvis being, you got to quit being so wishy-washy. Are you here with me or are you not? He uh, throws pajamas at her face and tells her, uh, put these on and get into bed. And she just leaves. This incident happened probably the second meeting. So they met at that first show Mm -hmm. and she came back to see him. She flew in to see him again. Right. Yeah, she's fully ready to uh, bang Elvis. Mm -hmm. It's just them two alone. And Elvis, his whole mood turns on a dime once he has her in the bedroom. And he says something like, you know, you staying or are you going? Yeah. He's being very cold to her. But what happened was she had made the mistake earlier in the night of mentioning that she had gone backstage at Inkelbert yes. Humperdinck show. <laughs> she's just telling an anecdote. It's Elvis and all the guys. And she's like, oh, and Inkelbert invited us backstage. And it's just kind of this long joke. And everyone's laughing. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, so we go backstage and it, everyone stops laughing. Then everyone's like looking at Elvis and Elvis <laughs> is like pissed. Elvis is very jealous throughout this book. But that's it. Later on, he asks her like, you know, nothing between you and Engelbert, right? And then when he gets her in the room, I think he's reacting to that. You know, it's been like festering within him. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that maybe she would have feelings for Engelbert or maybe she fooled around with Engelbert. Yeah. He's being very juvenile. This is the emotion that is at the center of every movie Kevin Smith made in the 90s. Yeah. Do you like him? Do you like him more? <laughs> Do you have sex with him? Does he have a bigger dick than Do me? Do you touch his wiener? Is he better than me? It's that attitude. Yeah. Which is like, Jesus Christ, dude. Right. Like, how yeah. can you be this insecure? No doubt. After he rebuffs Catherine Deneuve in the presence of Joyce, and she spends paragraphs questioning, like, how can he be with me? Yeah. Dude, just give her a break. She'll mention, like, oh, it's just at a Washington party. You know, yeah. like, who was there? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. He gets all upset. He's, he's constantly calling her, and like, I need you here now. I need you here yeah. now. You know, he wants her to move into Graceland. And you wonder how much of that is he wants to lock her away so he can stop this rumination in his mind of what's she doing, who's she with. He needs to seal her away like he but did with Scylla. That's definitely part of it. But he he needs her in a way that he's not clear himself about. Like he just needs someone there. And so he's very manipulative when it comes to that. Like and in a couple instances, he's like, I'm not feeling well. I need you now. She like runs out there and then she gets there and, you know, he greets her with a sly grin. Elvis, you said you you didn't feel well. Yeah. Well, I guess I feel better now. Yeah, I felt bad because you, you weren't here. Yeah. Baby. She goes out one time and he really isn't feeling well. He's having like a glaucoma thing. Yeah, secondary the, glaucoma. Yeah. And in the middle of the night, they pull him out of bed. He's, he's moaning in so much pain. Take him to the next bedroom where Dr. Nick has set up like a little mobile doctor's office. Yeah. And for some reason, the only way to relieve this, what he must do is without anesthetic, jab a syringe in Elvis's eye. Yeah, get an injection directly into his eyeball. <laughs> Yeah, he's very demanding. I do think he wants to get these girls and then seal them away and kind of move on to the next. You know, like he did with Priscilla. Like, I got her in the house, lock her up. I got to go to Vegas. And then I can can call upon her when I need her to be here for me. And like we said earlier, I think that's partially because he's always been able to determine the dynamics in every relationship. And so these women, he has a very narrow form that he is pushing women into. Pure little dolls. Yeah, at one point he does tell Joyce, oh, she's like, why do you love me, Elvis? Well, you're beautiful woman. 
and also a pure little girl. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's partially why Joyce rebels at the end. It's partially the drugs and then partially that she realizes throughout the book she's being mistaken for Priscilla. Which really gets to her. She's really bothered by it. And I never understood why. But she actually wraps it up at the end and I thought in a really interesting way. She realizes why she's been upset. And it's that Elvis has been molding her this whole time. Yeah. Elvis has been pushing her into this form, this mm-hmm. mold he has. And it's the same one he used for Priscilla. And so she's losing her personal identity. She's just kind of filling this role. Right. And that's why being mistaken for Priscilla, because she's made up, you know, in a way that pleases Elvis and yeah. all this. Underneath, that's a really sharp observation. It's hers too. I was really impressed by it. I thought that was really interesting. So this need for these women to fill these roles extends in this book to the pills. He's very adamant about her taking pills. He makes a huge fucking deal about, I got to get sleep and I don't want you awake while I'm sleeping. Right. I need to know that you're sleeping also here beside me, which yeah. it isn't enough for her to just lay there. He's so knocked out by these pills. He is underwater for 12 hours or something. Yeah. He's a, as we say, he's asleep within like three minutes of taking these yeah. things. Yeah. So there are a couple of things with the pills that come to mind. We talk about how brief this relationship is and how little time they're actually together. It's remarkable to me like how quickly Joyce is hooked on pills. That's amazing. The other thing is she really makes it sound appealing at the beginning. Elvis gave me these pills. I wasn't sure. I didn't really want to take them. But then I slept the best I've ever slept and yeah. I woke up feeling like a brand new person. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I could use some of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do sound good. But of course that waking up and feeling great ends pretty quickly the yeah. more you take these things. Uh, and so then Elvis is pushing uppers on her too. And again, that really hits home this idea of his needing for these women to conform to his needs at the time. And the pills are a way that he can do that. It's time to sleep. Take these. You go to sleep with me. Right. Time to wake up and horse around, do some horse play. Yeah. <laughs> Take these so you can you know watch me do that with the yeah. guys. And Joyce is clearly uncomfortable with the pills throughout this book. But what really like wigs her out is oh, at yeah. one point, Elvis gets an injection. He's like, all right, it's your turn now. Yeah. And she's like, no way. And she holds firm on that, which that's pretty interesting to me because she's assuming that this is, I don't know, some really crazy cocktail. But he won't tell her what it is. Right. And he falls back on his, you need to trust me on this. You need to have faith. Yeah, he's always questioning me. He's always saying like, I know as much as the doctors about what these pills are and what they do. So just trust me. So the sex stuff, it was in Graceland where he uh, ate box and then so, had her kiss him down there. So she- Right. They reciprocate. I mean, it's an oral party, man. Yeah. And that's all with Dodger downstairs. The sexual journey of Joyce and Elvis starts with her rebuffing him, pajamas thrown on her face. It didn't happen. Yep. Then their first encounter, he's very tender and loving and he takes control of the situation. It's very beautiful. Yeah. And by her telling, there seems to be no oral and there even doesn't even seem to be any like fingering. So it's almost like he doesn't need foreplay. I mean, he's Elvis. He probably doesn't need foreplay. He just goes right into the the sawing away in there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it seemed like there was a big show of undressing each other and stuff. And so I'm sure they're like making out and rubbing on each other body to body. But yeah, her descriptions of the sex are too tasteful. I want the the details of what's going on. You need more raw. I mean, I I thought they were pretty (laughs) thorough. Like, you know, she talks about a schlong a little bit and- yeah, you find out he's not circumcised. Yeah, that's that's uh, a real showstopper. So there's pajamas in her face, no sex. Then they have sex and Elvis takes control. And then I think the one after that, it's the oral sex party. So after they reciprocate oral sex, there's another, I keep saying encounter. It sounds so like <laughs> fucking Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> But they have sex, and I think Joyce really takes the lead in that one, where she's hungering for him. She needs after it. it. Yeah, she, yeah. She needs it. And that's Elvis doesn't seem to be that concerned with sex for most of this. Joyce really seems like she wants it some of the time, and then they're either too whacked out on pills to do anything, yeah. or Elvis seems more interested in telling her what a pure little doll she is. Yeah, or telling her to read the books, yeah. or listen to him as he reads the books. Yeah, She's very lusty, and yeah, that happens multiple times in this book. It's nighttime, we're in bed, it's she wants some loving. Instead, Elvis hands her her pills and she gobbles them down. They're both asleep within 30 seconds. Yeah. And I think in one of those, in one of their encounters, it's like she's fighting the effects of the pills to make it through, which that's crazy. Yeah. I think kids do that. I think that. Yeah. 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 You know all about it. (laughs) 
Well, I was wondering, gee, if Elvis wanted to have sex, he could just have sex and then take the pills, right? So yeah. he's taking the pills for a reason. And like, maybe it is because he's impotent. We've and it's touched a, on that before. He knows he can't get it up. He just doesn't even want to deal with it. So right. it's like, here, take these pills, honey. I'm going to take these pills and end a discussion. That's the only reason. Yeah, unless he's just totally sick of sex, but he seems pretty into it the few times they have it. So yeah, that's my, I'm wondering if that's the case. He knows he's not going to be able to perform and just wants to dodge the whole issue. That could be, but the fact that Joyce doesn't relate any tales of him having problems when they do do it, I don't know. I just think he's over it. I mean, that could very well be. Does learning that Elvis was uncircumcised change your feelings about him? Not at all. Did you think he was circumcised? I, I, I guess I hadn't considered it. If I had asked you a week ago, mm-hmm. point blank, I said, Pat, does Elvis have a foreskin? What do you think you would have said? I don't know. I guess him not being circumcised makes sense. Just a rural sort of home birth. I don't know. I can't get... <laughs> It didn't bug you. It didn't no, really it doesn't you. bug me at all. Yeah, I mean, bugs <laughs> might be the wrong word. <laughs> I'm circumcised. And I think the few of my friends' wangs that I've seen have been circumcised, I believe. So it seems like an anomaly for me. I think that's the standard where we grew up and the time yeah. we grew up. So yeah, if yeah, I find out It's someone... definitely the standard of our time, yeah. but then maybe not so much at that time. And then also the Jewish component of circumcision, probably not as popular back then if people were not so wild about Jews and Judaism. That's a good point. I mean, like I say, like I remember finding out in high school that one of our friends uh, was uncircumcised and it was big news. I mean, <laughs> he got a new nickname. Wow. Like, it changed everything. So yeah, finding this out, I was really like, it affected my, how it, I pictured so, it. So, okay, the fact that he's uncircumcised, to me, it is eclipsed by how we find that <laughs> out, right? <laughs> yeah, well, tell us about it. I mean, Elvis is joshing around in the bedroom. He's he, very frisky then. He's very high energy. Yeah, and, and so, I don't know, you're gonna have to remind me exactly what happens. He does something oh, where yeah. he's like, come in the bathroom and she's like, oh, Elvis, I don't want to talk about that and then he's like come on back and then that's when she walks in he's got his foreskin peeled back and he's scrubbing down there the picture i have in my head is like elvis has got one foot on the floor and one foot like (laughs) up on the sink and he's got his dick in his hand with his foreskin pulled back and he's just scrubbing at it yeah and he's like looking straight at joyce with a big grin on his face like (laughs) how you like that (laughs) yeah he's horsing around yeah you know he's getting giggly i'll tell you if i had a foreskin i definitely would have done the same thing too multiple (laughs) women i would constantly be fucking around with it this was a question this raised for me because i did have to acknowledge that i would definitely be constantly making jokes about it and like a little turtleneck (laughs) to like girls In our remaining days on this planet, as we meet prop comics, we should do an informal poll on how many of them are uncircumcised. Feeling that that is the first oh. <laughs> prop. You're born with a little prop, yeah. right? And well, I mean, both you're a little comedy yeah. tool. Looking at it that way, I mean, whether you're circumcised or not, you're born with a, a little prop. Oh, the dick itself? Yeah, just yeah. that in people's faces. Yeah, but it's definitely losing a dimension. We'll be in contact, Carrot Top. Yeah. <laughs> But to answer your question earlier, what he's doing the first time, he invites Joyce into the bathroom twice and gives her like gross out jokes. The first time he's like, hey, you want to see how I keep my voice good? And she walks in, he's filling his cupped hands with water and then inhaling it through his nose. Oh, that's right. He's doing like- it out through his Yeah, nose. he's doing like a neti pot deal. Yeah, like a poor man's neti pot. Yeah. And she's like, ew, gross, <laughs> ew. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and she runs out and he's like, oh, come on, don't be like that. Here, I got to show you something. <laughs> She goes back in and he's squeezing his dickhead. It sounds like a great night for me. I would be, I would be dying. Oh, Elvis, You're so charming. Elvis. Uh. <laughs> well, now since we're talking about romance, I think it's a good point for me to delight you with some news. Okay. Which is that we have a ad sponsor. Oh. I have some contacts with Rotary in western suburbs of Chicago. Okay. And so I know some people who are in a couple of the uh, townships, chambers of commerce out there. So I have a little bit of an in in that Mm -hmm. area. And we got an ad. Here's the read. The Sybaris Pool Suites in Downers Grove, Illinois. The Sybaris. Romantic and relaxing in-town getaways for him and her. Enjoy the magic of one another in a cozy, safe, and sensual environment, easily accessed from Highway 355. Suites offer tropical waterfalls, misting steam rooms, love swings, and relaxing, well-cleaned massage chairs. Love to relax your or your lover's body? <laughs> Am I not, should I not react during this ad read? I don't know. Do your best. <laughs> try, try to get through it. Sorry. Uh, 
Love to relax your or your lover's body. Enjoy one of our many unique, non-permeable. Sorry, now you know, I can't Sorry. look at it. <laughs> Just the idea of relaxing your lover's body. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I might have to do this later. I'm start giggling. I mean, I can't be giggling through this. Enjoy one of our many unique, non-permeable body contouring lounging modules. Relax your sense of touch by allowing your fingers to explore the thick, ultra-tufted, antibacterial carpets surrounding our custom inset hot tubs. Relax your sense of smell by loading your suite's rain lamps with any of our 14 custom oil scents. Call us at 630-960-4000. For competitive evening and afternoon rates, the Sybaris, 600 Ogden Avenue in Downers Grove, Illinois, just across from Advanced Auto Parts. The Sybaris, a velvet future opens at the Sybaris. Call now and book your afternoon of eternity. Uh, I gotta look at your book because uh, I think some photos got torn out of mine. Oh, okay. This picture has been ripped out of my book. The bikini picture? Yeah. Really? That's gruesome. I mean, she does have a good figure. So that's total. That's hilarious. That's public library stroke material. What's, totally. What's that's a there? homeless guy pulled that out. Oh, for sure. We should talk a little bit about little Ricky Stanley. We get a real glimpse into the dynamics of the group. Ricky being 16 in this. I think yeah, I think that's what they mentioned. I think Lamar is happy to have one person he can boss yeah. around. So he's obviously seems to be low man on the totem pole of right. the guys. And now he's got this kid that he can yell at. Yeah, Lamar doesn't make a whole bunch of appearances in this story. But when he does, he's usually getting yelled at by Elvis. Yeah, being called a fat animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fat animal. Shut up. Yeah, but the first time we meet Ricky, he is a ball of nerves. It's clear that like Ricky's the little whipping boy. There's a great story. If Elvis is in the bedroom, don't knock. Don't disturb him under any circumstances. So at one point they're all eating dinner. Elvis mentions having kind of an upset stomach. And then he goes into the bedroom with Joyce. And the guys send Ricky out to get some Mm Alka-Seltzer. Ricky gets the Alka-Seltzer, comes back. But of course Elvis is now in the bedroom and he can't knock on the bedroom. And he doesn't know what to do. Ricky, under Lamar's instructions, had been making a glass of Alka-Seltzer, waiting by the door for Elvis to come out. Out, the Alka-Seltzer would fizz out and he'd make another one. And he says he made about five of them just waiting there for Elvis to come out. Yeah. Right? Totally insane. And that's what Omar told him to do. Is that how, that's how you do it, I guess. I mean, it just seems so stupid. Why not just put the glass on the tray with the like tablets of Alka-Seltzer and then the king can plop them in. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Elvis would be thrilled to do that. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. <laughs> It's it's beyond absurd. There's a, an interesting part pretty early on, one of her trips, I think it's at Vegas at the International. She arrives and there had been a death threat that night. There are menus for the show that have Elvis's photo on them. And someone had drawn a gun pointing to Elvis's head at one of the menus <laughs> yeah. and somehow got it to Elvis, slipped under his door or something. Yeah. It was a big threat. I think this was after the show that he's telling Joyce about this. And Elvis is like, well, I wasn't too worried because old Sonny here would have taken a bullet for me. And Sonny's like, you're right, e, I definitely would have. Yeah. taken a bullet for you. And we can discuss whether Sonny actually would have, but I think Elvis believed he would. Sure. So Elvis 100% believes he has a guy who will be shot for him. And then within five years, he's letting him be fired without even doing it himself or without even saying anything. Yeah, yeah. Sonny famously is one of the the three bodyguards who was fired by Elvis. And so Sonny, Red, and Dave Hebler, Hebler, however he pronounces it, wrote Elvis What Happened. It's a lack of gratitude at a scale I can't even understand because I don't know that I have anyone since, you know, my mom who would probably take a bullet for me. So for Elvis to like believe that and then just let him get canned in that way. Yeah. You can see why those guys were that hurt, you know? But then I, you've made the point previously too that if those guys were like causing problems, if they were roughing people up, and I think we've read stories in almost all the books that we've read now where those guys, they're described as big, they do play rough, yeah. you know? So if those guys are causing problems, it makes a little more sense to me that he would dismiss them and just Elvis being famously like a to confrontation. It makes sense. But still, yeah, I agree. For a guy who supposedly would take a bullet for Elvis, for Elvis to just be like, you're gone. Well, That's the, messed up. I mean, I don't necessarily, I'm not questioning the rightness of firing those guys if that was a situation, though I would say it's probably better to just put them in a different role. But I think the problem is how they got fired. It's that Elvis yeah, yeah. didn't say you're gone. It's that Elvis didn't say anything. Right. And he had Vernon do it or something. Mm-hmm. That's really the betrayal. And that clues into one aspect of Elvis that I think we've kind of gotten near 
year earlier, but comes up a lot with Joyce because Joyce about halfway through was very convinced she needs to talk with Elvis about the drugs and she keeps wanting to and he, you know, he shouts her down. I know what's best. I know everything. You know, I know that. There's doctors. that and then then they get so loaded that they nod off before she can bring it up. It's not the right time. There's definitely this ongoing thing of Elvis never wanting to have hard conversations and never having to. There's a sense that anytime Joyce brings up the drugs or the relationship or really anything he doesn't want to talk about, he sees that as a betrayal. He sees that as her not being a good partner to him. Yeah. You know, and that's the same. I think all his problems stem from that. He didn't want to have that Harvard conversation where he has to like fire those guys. Yep. So he has Vernon do it and things are infinitely worse. Right. Though I can, with her, I can understand this situation. Well, my ex-wife again, who I seem to talk about a lot, you know, she was a surgeon and had very little time. And so the time with her was very precious. And, you know, as any married couple and certainly any now divorced couple does, we generated certain things that needed to be discussed, certain Mm -hmm. problems. And yet we had so little time together that it was very easy for me to be like, do I want to ruin this night? We have two hours. Exactly. And so you put it off and you put it off and it just festers and gets worse and worse. You know, and her and in Elvis's defense, I understand if you're that busy, you're then with your loved one for two hours. You don't want to hear about you're not taking the garbage out or whatever or drug use or something. And the same on her side. She wants to come have fun with Elvis. She knows that if she brings that up, there's a good chance she's going home. At very least. Or the time they have together is just going to be really sour. So yeah, ruin this, these few moments she has with them. And then yeah, knowing that he has the power to end this relationship with the drop of a hat, knowing that he probably would if she presses these issues. Mm -hmm. I understand that whole situation. And also like gave me a really clear vision of what they meant by TCB. And there's a moment where she's really getting upset about the drugs and she's talking with Charlie on the phone because he's calling to get her out there. Elvis wants her there. Uh, And she goes, Charlie, can't one of you say something to Elvis about the pills? And he goes, not me. Now, how about you getting out here? Yeah, yeah. That is TCB. Yep. That is, we're not dealing with this shit. Push the other stuff to the side. Mm -hmm. Do what Elvis wants right now. Right. And that's it, right? That's what TCB is. Yep. And it killed him. You know? <laughs> yeah. Though also reading this and based on what we just said, all the guys take shit for letting Elvis basically kill himself with drugs. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they say something? And the theme of every book that we've read of a friend is, you know, wanted to say something, couldn't say something. Yeah, yeah. Reading this book really hammers home like they couldn't have said anything. Elvis wouldn't have allowed it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely would shut it down. I know it's best. You know, you have to have faith in me. Yeah, it would have taken all of them together at once confronting Elvis. And even then, I wonder if that even would work. You're right. They would have had to like have created interventions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So really, it's the world he created is what allowed him to kill himself with the drugs. His needing to be right and not allowing these countering opinions. Kind of on the same note we're talking about, her time with Elvis being precious and she doesn't want to spend that time fighting. A lot of the conflict comes from her being a career woman. She's tied to her job, which it sounds, she feels like she's doing something important. She's proud of her job. But I was asking myself, well, if I were in that situation, and this is what I thought initially, if I'm Elvis's girlfriend and he's saying like, I want you here with me, I'm seriously considering quitting my job and going to be with Elvis 24-7, even knowing that it may not be forever. I can go be around Elvis, which is like, that's got to be just a magical thing. You would be taking care of for that time and you would be with Elvis the whole time and and I'm thinking like why not just give up your job and go do that because you're never going to get this opportunity again but then like what we've talked about before where she's around enough to see just the monotony of day to day the fact that he is basically living in a prison of his own making I understand why she she didn't do that yeah the bloom was off the rose pretty quickly I was I'm in agreement with that I had the same feelings of yeah I would definitely would have jettisoned my job I mean she's like 27, I think, in this, yeah, 26. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she had a better job than I ever had when I was 26, 27. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. But yeah, I think I would have dumped it. Oh, for, for sure. sure. But yeah, she clings to it. And I guess wisely, even though it does cause a lot of problems with Elvis. Like, Did you do any research on Joyce Bova? Because they end the relationship and then the book's just kind of over. I didn't really look. Oh, look. It says in the, on the dust jacket here, Joyce Bova has been employed by the House of Representatives for nearly 30 years, serving chiefly as a staff member of the Armed Services Committee. In addition, Joyce is an award-winning 
award-winning ballroom dancer. So I guess she uh, she did create quite a career then in, in Washington. But I do want to note, you say that her relationship with Elvis ends and that's the end of the book. And that is something I really liked about this book. Everything is about her time with Elvis. Yes. There's minimal amount of her stuff outside of Elvis, just to, of her life, just to show how it's being affected by this relationship. Yeah. She doesn't go into her background. I was a little afraid of that just when I first got the book looking at the photos. There are photos of her and her sister as young kids. Yeah. And it mentions her mother and their Catholic upbringing. Yeah. So yeah, I totally appreciated that she kept that to a minimum. I was like, okay, so far so good. But by like the third chapter, I was like, when's the shoe going to drop? When's she's going to go... Elvis was born in Tupelo. Right. You know, he went to Humes High and he got second place at the county fair. And when are we getting to all this? And there's zero of that. Yeah. So appreciated. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you, your co-writer. Terrific. Back to the drugs briefly. I found myself thinking about this a lot, and I don't know that I actually like cracked it, but his constant insistence that he knows as much about the drugs as the doctors know, and also with his insistence that she takes the pills that he prescribes to her, basically. Oh. Like, take these. He gets very upset when she doesn't. I wonder how much of that is generated by his own fear. Because at this point, he has to realize he's addicted to drugs. He has to know. I mean, he takes these Plastidils every night. He's getting syringes sh- shooting him up. These drugs are a major part of his life. So I wonder, like, how much of this is him fighting off that fear of being out of control of having something that's overpowering him by this insistence there's nothing you can tell me about these I don't know I know everything about them there's nothing happening here I'm not aware of Right. and him needing her and the other guys to take the pills that he says shows that he knows everything yes and that there's nothing he's unaware of and also if they take them then they're agreeing that he knows enough Yep. and it's a big problem then when they don't want to take it Mm -hmm. because that saying that suggests that you don't know what you're doing these are dangerous right. these are a problem and then he has to see the fact that he's he's alone in this drug addiction mm-hmm. basically the only thing i'm not convinced of is that i believe that he has so deluded himself that he buys mm-hmm. all of this stuff he really does think he knows as much as the doctors he really does think it's medicine i don't get the sense that he realizes at all that this is a problem i mean i agree i think he does genuinely believe like i know everything about these and i don't even know if in my theory he's kind Conscious of being addicted, but on some level, emotionally, there must be some little feeling in him of this is a problem. Well, I think everything you said, I mean, you nailed it. (laughs) Well, fucking A, man. What do you think prompted him to buy the PDR and start studying it? Dr. Nick was certainly already giving him drugs. Yeah. And he doesn't need to know what they are. Right. But he obviously felt this need. It's that control that he needs to have, right? But then also, like, we see him in all of his interests. He goes in whole hog. And so, like, with Larry Geller and the spiritual stuff, he's just diving in with, give me all the literature you can because I want to know as much about this as possible. And so why would it be any different with the drugs I I guess. I can see that. Uh, I think you'd mentioned control. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's somewhere in that whatever this Venn diagram, this nexus is of control and fear. I think there's something in there because I mean, it is it's an unusual thing. Most yeah. pill addicts are not doing that. No, would, no. My, my would be my guess. So as we said, right near the end of this, she's been kind of battling Elvis with the drugs and battling herself. We didn't discuss that she gets an abortion. Which I think is supposed to be like the bombshell. Theoretically, it's the centerpiece of the book. I mean, that's that's pretty juicy. A woman gets pregnant by Elvis and has an abortion. At the time this came out, 1994, that would have been a big deal. And that story is a big deal. But any, anyway, like, yes, Joyce claims to have been pregnant with Elvis's child. She has an abortion. She's kind of back and forth about keeping it. And she goes to visit Elvis with every intention of telling him. But then he, apropos of nothing, just happens to launch into one of his many screeds about, well, once you're a mama, you shouldn't be walking around trying to be sexy. Like, something changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're no longer a pure little girl you're to be respected you know and yep. it's very clear to her like oh this is he'll never touch me again <laughs> yeah this is the end of the relationship yeah i have this kid and so she doesn't even bring it up you know she mm-hmm. keeps wanting to and again like everything she wants to talk about it's derailed by him dishing out the pills and then both falling asleep <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> while he reads from the impersonal life which as larry said impersonal life was a very central book to elvis he bought hundreds of copies and dished them out interesting that this is during the time larry is gone this entire thing yeah. happens during his high 
hiatus. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she gets knocked up. She can't discuss it with Elvis. She finds out his feelings about mothers. Yeah. And then aborts it, never tells him. He mm-hmm. never hears anything of it. And then even is still uneasy when they start to uh, kind of fiddle around after the abortion that she's worried he's going to somehow intuit that she's a mother now. Yeah. The way that this situation is presented, it seems like it was a tough thing for Joyce, but I also admire how she went through with it. Her resolve is pretty admirable to me. I'm sure that's a horrible thing to go through. It's really difficult, but she could have really turned this into a pity party for her and look what Elvis made me do. But her reasons for having an abortion, it makes sense on just about every level for me. I admire Joyce in this situation. There's a lots of opportunity for Joyce to say like, I was a victim of Elvis Presley and she doesn't, she acknowledges her, her role in all of this, I think. You're right. I think the abortion stuff would have been more steamy in 94. It was definitely a different time and her pregnancy was definitely a different time because she, I thought very hilariously, the night she is about to tell Elvis she's <laughs> pregnant, takes a couple slugs of vodka. Yeah, I think she has a couple nerve. of drinks, yeah. And then uh, she takes the sleeping pills he gives her. <laughs> so pills and vodka. And then her thinking like, well, I'll tell him tomorrow. So different times for sure. (laughs) And she doesn't even acknowledge that in this saying like, you know, this is the 70s. We didn't understand you can't drink when you're pregnant. Yeah, yeah. It's 94 and she's just totally matter of fact. So yeah, there's the abortion and then she gets hooked on the pills and she's finding out slowly that she's being uh, pressed into this mold that Elvis already has and it feels kind of impersonal. And it all comes to a head on the night she leaves him. It's it's another concert night. She is in the bathroom when... uh, there's two hookers in the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> who mistake her for a hooker, which she doesn't like. No. They thought she was a hooker because she's dressed as Elvis likes it. Lacquered in makeup. Yeah. Hair, hair up to the ceiling. Titties flying out. I mean, she's Elvis up. Uh, so these gals mistake her for a fellow traveler. And then- yes. Apropos of nothing, they mentioned that they had recently performed for Elvis. Yes. And what would that performance entail? Sounds like they had lesbian sex. That's girl on girl. <laughs> for Elvis and the gang. Yeah, and Elvis and the guys watch. Yeah. But yeah, she does not like uh, hearing that and she confronts Elvis on that account because she kind of thinks, oh, those guys definitely all banged. She thought it was a big orgy kind of scene. Yeah, and Elvis is like, no, it's just a performance. It's just horseplay. It's just fellas being fellas. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> it's just stuff guys like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he laughs it off and yeah. very convincingly. Like, yeah. I don't think he had sex with these no. those hookers anyway. No. So this is another book and the Greenwood book, he and Earl like make movies and they show them to the guys with commentary it's a blast yeah (laughs) in geller's book the guys are in the back room watching deep throat and elvis is kind of disgusted and in this one elvis and the fellas are watching a live sex show in their hotel room yeah so where does the truth lie but i mean i think whatever you decide it's pretty clear that the memphis mafia like to like get together and watch sex stuff they like to get down yeah oh but it was a blast dude (sighs) you know they're sitting on these couches in the suite at the international they're watching these two lesbian hookers bang each other. God. And you know one of them's like, Lamar, get in there for a closer look. <laughs> yeah. Lamar leans over and they push him into him. You know? <laughs> and he's like, ew, ew, ew. Yeah, or, or like one of the girls like punches him in the nose or something like yeah. that. 100% someone, they take one of the girl's panties and throw them at Charlie. Yeah. Or they're like holding him out like, ew, Charlie, and chasing him around, around, around the room. He's like, ah! Yeah, yeah. That's definitely the sense I get when like the Memphis Mafia, it's like a really raucous, loud, you know, horseplay. And it's not just them like sitting quietly with their like hands in their in the front of their pants like 100 <laughs> yeah it is not autofocus yeah <laughs> at all i 100 it was just like a spur of the moment you know it'd be funny get to these girls and see what they'll do or maybe even one of the guys red was like look what i got fellas <laughs> yeah. and maybe it wasn't even for elvis like it was just the guys and elvis is in the bedroom and he hears all this horseplay comes yeah out what the hell's going on out here god damn <laughs> you know and yeah he comes out and sonny's chasing charlie around <laughs> he's got panties on a stick yeah and when, when Elvis walks in the room, it's it's another one. Like, everybody stops on a dime and is looking at Elvis. Like, what's, how's he going to react? And when Elvis makes a crack, that's when it, like, yeah. <laughs> or, like, one of the guys, that thing, like, older brothers do where you kneel on, you get the guy on his back, and then you kneel on his arms so he can't move his yeah. arms. And then you rub panties on their face. <laughs> Which, uh, two quick stories from my own life. I spent most of my childhood in that position. Uh, my brother, I had braces, took my dad's disgusting pork rinds uh. and shaved them on my braces. <laughs> oh, so all the dust, I couldn't avoid the dust That's going into my mouth. <laughs> 
Worse than that is uh, my, my good friend Dave's older brother, Doug, pinned me down. We were kids. Doug was in high school. He's like four years older than us. So we heard he had armpit hair. <laughs> and he had, he had like this, his arm, his hairy armpits, and then this big streak of white right guard, and him pinning me down and then smearing that, his oh. armpit on my face. God. That's uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, different times, you know, back when abortions were bad and you could have a belt of booze when you're feeling nervous about your pregnancy. Yeah. So then it all falls apart that last night. She has an upset stomach. Elvis is like, I can fix this. Take this pill. And she's like, what is it? It don't matter what it is. Like, it just matters that I'm telling you to take it. Yeah. I know what's best for you. Uh, and she's a little wary and she shows it to Sonny and he goes, oh, yeah. he knows what the pill is. He goes, don't take that. Don't take that pill. So she pretends to take it and Elvis is like, okay, now step two, you take your pill, now get on the exercise bike. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she's still in her floor length gown and picture uh. her sweating her ass off on this exercise bike dr elvis he almost has like a god complex his oh, yeah. surety of his rightness and that he shouldn't be questioned and then you mix that with all his spiritual studies and his yeah. constant talk about spirituality and he talks a lot about i have a purpose i have a mission yeah he talks about specifically like starting a new phase in his life in this book it sounds like crazy talk yeah at one point he tells her straight up i have powers but the world's not ready to know yet so I don't think he consciously saw himself as God, but he sees himself as a guy with a lot of powers and he expects those around him to treat him like God. And that's, there's not much practical difference between considering yourself God and thinking that everyone around you needs to adhere to everything you say. I'll just read this quote. That's just it, Joyce. People do listen to me. That's because I know what they want and need. Like you, you should listen to me more. All you have to do is listen to me. I know what's good for you, baby. One day they'll all listen. (laughs) Who? Who will listen, Elvis? I asked. People. He waved his hand in a kind of all-inclusive gesture. The world. Well, they do now, don't they? I mean, to my message, what I really have to say, I'm a serious man and I have a serious message for the world. I can help people. I have a vision, a purpose. Do you hear me, Joyce? Can you understand? The one day they'll all know is such a great line. And so that's it. I think he falls asleep again. She, I guess, doesn't take her pill. So she kind of st- steals away, right? And she leaves it. in the night, right? Yeah. There's no big breakup. He seems to kind of just understand when he wakes up and she's gone like what happened even though i don't remember the last confrontation being particularly bad more the same right yeah they have a not even argument but like a discussion about drugs and divinity (laughs) elvis if we're if we're gods or at least have this divinity in us why do we need drugs silence is the resting place of the soul it's sacred and necessary for new thoughts to be born that's what my pills are for joyce the ones i share with you for me to get as close as possible to that silence that was actually an interesting bit. Uh, I don't remember if we discussed it or not, but I remember having the thought, reading the Geller book, the pills fueling these vision dreams he is constantly having and how much of his reliance on the pills is specifically for that, part of his, his spiritual seeing. And him talking about the silence, which is, of course, this narcotic sleep, kind of speaks to that, I think. One thing I want to mention is like, in all these books we've read, there's psychic connections we, we've touched on. This yeah. is another book where uh, a dream is recounted. It doesn't really have a whole lot of <laughs> significance it's just a stress dream of joyce's basically but we're keeping the streak up yeah dreams are very important in the 70s i've got some a little performance i would like to do i was struck at how this was written and to me it felt like 70s sitcom writing okay especially when joyce is talking to her sister they have a real banter like a real three camera kind of scenario yeah so in that spirit i would like to read for you now just a little conversation between joyce and her sister janice okay we darken the lights (laughs) He is something, isn't he? I have to admit, he's even more charming than I thought he'd be. Joyce, you just be careful. Good sound advice. But careful isn't really what I flew all the way across the country to be. (laughs) Don't worry, older sister. You just get the rest of your beauty sleep. Not that a person with a face like yours really needs any. (laughs) Thank you, person with a face like mine. (laughs) Good night, honey. Very good. Thank you, Pat. Norman Lear presents oh, the yeah. Elvis. <laughs> yeah. I do want to talk about two things. 
One, we'll talk about the breakfast story on page 148. But first, I want to talk a little bit about, there's one point he says to Joyce, using the third person, that's what Elvis does. He makes people's dreams come true. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, is Elvis addicted to seeing people's faces light up because of him? Yeah. And how many, does he get himself into bad situations because of that? We certainly see, obviously that's the audience is always that. Every time he steps out, the audience is lit up. Uh, He goes further by kissing the ladies in the audience, giving them scarves and all that. He's obviously a huge gift giver. And so he's, he's constantly creating this delight in people. And then, you know, we keep seeing with these women, you know, he asked Ginger to marry him. By Larry's telling, it was almost just like, well, this will make it a nicer night. Like, yeah. This, it didn't seem like something he had planned or even right. cared about. It seemed like a very impromptu, unthought through thing. Right. And I can see that being a situation where he needs to create that glow in someone and that's his addiction. You know, he's telling Joyce that he loves her and he needs her on the first date. He wants her to move in. Yeah, I think that's something to look out for as we read more books. I think that might be a theme with him. It's like an addiction he gathered from being on stage so much and being so beloved. It's almost like he needs that fix. So it's like, I guess I'll give someone a car. And I think with the women particularly, it leads to bad decisions because it does seem to tie in with what he did with Ginger, that kind of unthinking commitment. I see where you're coming from with that. And I think you're right. Let's talk about this whole scene in page 148. It's classic Elvis story, but it's the morning after uh, she sleeps over and I think they're all in the suite at the International. And so, of course, she wakes up before Elvis as per usual and everyone else is already up. Elvis finally wakes up and comes in, making his appearance. He is wearing black silk pajamas, gold initialed sunglasses, of course, and a holstered revolver belted around him, which is like pretty common in this. His idea of lounging around clothes. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be in the hotel until showtime. Yeah. For some reason, he's wearing sunglasses inside. <laughs> And pajamas and a gun. They plop down and start eating. He puts down, they say, a half dozen plate-sized griddle cakes, which he then smothers in syrup and applesauce. And she talks something about his plate is so overloaded that when he puts a fork into it, all the syrup just oozes off the plate on the table, which is really intense. (laughs) He has a pint-sized container next to his plate filled with pills in a variety of shapes, sizes, and colors. And he says, they're vitamins, honey. So then he starts talking, or he makes a joke about the food. And he doesn't get a response from the guys. The guys are all talking amongst themselves. They're not paying attention to Elvis's joke. So... (laughs) So how does he uh, address that? I mean, he takes his gun out and aims at the chandelier, and uh, that gets everyone's attention. <laughs> well, he, get, he gets to his feet, right? He mm-hmm. stands up, pulls out his gun, and then shoots it. Click. The hammer came down yeah. on an empty chamber. I'm sure there are bullets in that gun, but there's <laughs> not one in the chamber. Do you think he knew there wasn't one in the chamber? I think he did. Could be. And then, yeah, he gets to the classic line, sometimes you got to do crazy things around here to stay sane. That just brings together a lot of threads of the Elvis thing. That outfit, the glass of pills. Yeah. The enormous crazy breakfast, being upset that he's not being the center of attention. <laughs> and so he writes that by like making people fear that he's about to shoot a gun in this uh, <laughs> hotel suite. So good. We should briefly talk about when they are also driving around DC and they come across a terrible bloody car accident. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Elvis is like, stop here, man. Jumps out of the car. Is there anything I can do here, officer? The officer is too stunned to speak. So Elvis just goes on to the wreck. There is this woman laying in the wreck. Yeah. Bleeding. Yeah. (laughs) He squats down next to her, touches her, and he just says, uh, you're going to be all right. You're going to be fine. Uh She's like, are you Elvis? (laughs) (laughs) And then he stands up and then he starts walking away uh-huh. as the ambulance guys are coming yeah. in. And he tells the ambulance guys, uh, it's all right. I think she's going to make it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he gets back in the car. It's weird enough to stop, but then to like barge through, yeah. touch this woman, then to make a medical diagnosis yeah. to like the ambulance guys. It's so funny. We do learn a couple interesting things about Elvis's after show parties. As we said earlier, every night's the same. He would do the show and then a bunch of people would come and he would talk and entertain. Mm-hmm. He had a sign. The guys would know it's time to clear the room. Do you remember what that was? I don't remember what that was. He would stand behind the couch. He would just go and stand behind the couch. And of course, all the guys are always watching Elvis, yeah. especially if he's on the move and near a couch. <laughs> 
And once that happens, the guys are just, all right, everyone. Party's Come over, on. everybody. Yeah. And she marvels a couple times at how quickly and efficiently they clear her yeah, room. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> pleasantries are uh, put to the side, I think. Or they're just amazing charmers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there is a funny moment where, again, the possessiveness and the controllingness. Um, at one point, they're at an after hours or after show party, and Elvis is entertaining a bunch of girls, and Joyce is just sitting there with nothing to do, and Janice is in town. So Janice is like, let's go down to the casino and look around for a little bit. So they leave for like three minutes or something and are immediately found by Hamburger James and Sonny, <laughs> yeah. who are like, what are you doing? <laughs> and they're like, we thought we'd, you know, see what's happening down here. He's like, you got to get back. Elvis yeah. is looking for you. Yeah, yeah. So Elvis is immediately like, get him back here. And then they get back and Janice is yawning. She's like, I'm tired. I mean, it's probably three in the morning or something. Uh-huh. Uh, she's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to go to my room and go to sleep. And she's leaving and Sonny stops her. They make a big thing about nobody gets to leave until Elvis is ready for people to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which... That's really fucked up. I've never heard that anywhere else. Do you want to move on to Trivia? Yeah, let's, let's do it. So for listeners to know, each book, we come across so many little tidbits that are interesting and that we want to share, but we can never quite figure out how to work into a conversation. And so we've hit on this idea of ending each episode with Triv-ia, clever, where we've taken these factoids and kind of shaped them into trivia questions for one another. How many do you have? Do you have any? I don't think that I really have any this okay. time. I, if I uh, come up with any, I, I will. Uh, I'll share. Okay. If you get it right, you get a point. If you get it wrong, you lose a point. Okay. What is Sonny's real first name? Oh, I don't know. I should. You should, absolutely. I don't know. We can't start with a failure on trivia. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You're going to have to. Delbert. Delbert. Yeah. Okay. Ouch. Negative one. All right. Should I? I, I do have one that I've okay. just um, come up with. Do you remember the name of the Colonel's plane? This is one of my other. This is maybe my last <laughs> trivia question for you. It's the Falcon. Yes, correct. So I get one. Oh, this is an easy one, too. At one point, Joyce suggests to Elvis that he wear some nice tan pants, to which he replies... He's not into it, but I don't remember what his his reply... She wants him to wear some nice tan pants, and he says, that color's for creeps, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is another tough one. Some of these are not so much trivia as just quotes. And I'm going to give these to you if you get kind of close to the quotes. Okay. At one point, she describes the uh, mafias horsing around in jokes. And she uses a very specific description. Do you remember how she refers to their joking around? No, I don't. She calls it earthy masculine humor. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very kind way to put it. Yeah. That's all I've got. Okay. So here's my question. To answer this, you have to discount having a wife and child. Okay. The children. <laughs> and you're a single guy. Would you trade your life for Elvis's? That's a difficult question because do I have the awareness? No, you are just Elvis. You are Elvis leading the life Elvis led. I would, would not. I mean, I wish that I had his talent, but that wouldn't be enough. All the other trappings sound awful. I mean, the money and cars and stuff would be cool to have, but everything that comes with that, it's not a healthy or fun existence. By the time the 70s are around, a lot of the fun is over. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for him either. Well, it is interesting just because he does, like you say, Elvis, he had everything you would need for as happy of a life as a human could reasonably expect. Money and talent and people loved him and all this. And just partially because who he is and the world he created out of that material, him expressing all the privileges he was given by that life turned his life into an awful thing. Yeah. It would be easy to think life would be so much better if everyone did what I wanted. And that's what Elvis had. And life just got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Because no human should have that. No. Happiness can only be broached even or neared by being corrected by other people and by learning from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. If you don't get that... You can't get to happiness because you can't fix yourself. You can't course correct. And that's an old man revelation. Yeah. Going like, God. <laughs> For sure. Getting deep with the king. <laughs> so this is about, man, we're learning about life. Yeah. Through uh, one life poorly lived, I guess. Well, that about covers it. Before we go, let's note that for next week, we'll be reading The King and Dr. Nick by George Nicopolis. That's the good doctor himself. That book's going to be like, <laughs> right? Whitewash city. <laughs> it must, right? Yeah. I mean, Gleekoy, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'll be interesting. Yeah. That's what we're reading. So, uh, hey, grab a copy and join us. We'd like to make special mention of our cousin podcast, Suspicious Minds, with Wade and Burl. They're good friends of ours, doing fine work in the name of Elvis. So uh, why don't you lend them an ear? If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email at elvisbookclub at gmail.com or give us a call and leave a message at 312 380 
1114. We may even use your call on a future pod. So dream the impossible dream. Hmm. Uh, and having said that, we now part and we do so in the manner of all Elvis fans the world over by saying a few simple words. You know, Pat, there was a guy said one time, he said, uh, you never stood in that man's shoes. Or saw things through his eyes. Or stood and watched with helpless hands. While the heart inside you dies. So help your brother along the way, no matter where he starts. For the same God that made you, made him too. These men with broken hearts. Good night. And God bless. Everybody is gone away.